Let's come before our Lord. Let's come before His Word. His precious Word to us. And as we open God's Word, we come with a sense of expectancy. It's not just any old book. It is God's Word. And so as we open God's Word today, let's just come in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to do the work that He must do through us and through His Word so that it becomes alive in us this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, our Heavenly Father, as we open Your Word again, Lord, speak to us, we pray. May these words on the paper turn into living words to our hearts and straight into our souls with only the conviction that Your Spirit can bring. And Lord, may You turn the words of a man into the words of your Spirit. Speak to each one of us where we need to hear your Word so that we will be changed and so that we will glorify you through our lives and be a bright light into this community which is so hopeless without you. Do your work, we pray. Amen. Well, I've been champing at the bit to get back into this fantastic book, the book of Luke, and so we carry on with our studies. I left off at a specific verse, and I just carry on to the very next verse. It takes all the pressure off me for what am I going to preach on? We just carry on where you left off. It's fantastic. So, we're going to be starting again in Luke chapter 8, and we're starting in verse 40, and we're going through to verse 56 this morning. Luke chapter, 40, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 40 verse 56. Now we've already heard it from another camera, as it were, from the book of Mark, and the other parallel passage is found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 26, so we've got three cameras on this one happening, and so it's very, very important that we take note as to what happens over here. Verse 40, and as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him for they had all been waiting for him. It's kind of a nice change, isn't it? And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet, and he began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years old, and she was dying. But as Jesus went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his cloak and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Good old Peter, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me. For I was aware that power had gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before Jesus and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, Someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. 
Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. And when Jesus came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but Jesus said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up immediately. And and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed. But Jesus instructed them to tell no one what had happened. I'm so glad we've come to this passage in God's Word because there's so much false teaching around about healing today and the amount of faith that you need to be healed, right? You put on your television set and you'll hear it. And the second reason I'm very glad we've come to this passage is because I've heard all kinds of talk around in this church. Oh no, they don't believe in healing at this church. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit in this church. Well, I want to stand before you as the pastor of this church and say, we believe in healing today. Why? Because Jesus Christ is unchanging. And I'll state it unequivocally to you. But we believe that in a biblical and a God-glorifying context. And I'll put that rider on it. And secondly, We believe in the work of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that without Him, we cannot live our lives. Without Him, this Word is dead. So let's not hear any more of that talk. He is at work. And I pray that He's alive in your life today. This passage is so important to us. As I said before, it's We see it in three Gospels, and so we must really pay attention. And the two main themes that come out of all three of those Gospels is this. The authority of Jesus. And secondly, how to exercise your faith. And the interconnectedness between exercising your faith and the authority of Jesus. Because that's where the false teaching comes in. They get that wrong, you see. Let's see how it plays out. What's happened previously? Well, previously we saw in, in chapter 8 that Jesus had calmed the sea, didn't we? Remember that? I know it's a few weeks ago now, but Jesus calmed the sea. And what did that prove to us? That Jesus is Lord over all creation. Sovereign God at work, right? And secondly, we saw in that passage that Jesus cured a demoniac. Someone who had an evil spirit in him. Jesus cast out the spirit and it went into that massive herd of pigs and they all drowned, right? And what did that prove to us from that passage? That Jesus is Lord over man and the spirit world. So we see Jesus is Lord over all creation and Jesus is Lord over mankind and the spirit world as well. In other words, he's Lord over everything. 
But what had resulted in that? The people didn't like what Jesus did. They didn't like his message and so they asked him to leave. And that is where we come into our passage this morning, verse 40. And as Jesus returned, he got in the boat, he crossed over again. He was coming back in our colloquial terms into his home patch. He was coming home to his hometown. And when the poor people saw the boat coming, they welcomed Jesus back. Now, having said that, they had mixed reasons for doing that, didn't they? For some people, they were so glad to see Jesus back again because now exciting stuff's going to happen again. We're going to see people healed. We're going to see spirits cast out. Yes, we're going to see some action. Must have been in some people. In other people, they really welcomed the Messiah back. Why? Because of his message. It had taken heart. It had gone into their hearts. It had taken root. And they wanted to hear more about the kingdom. There were those. And there were those who were sick and needed healing. And they were glad to see him coming too. Because now, possibly, they could get healed. And so people welcomed Jesus back into their area. And it's probably the same mixed motivation right here in front of me this morning. Why are you here this morning? Is to do church or to really meet with Jesus Christ? Let's go and see what Jesus does in this account. Firstly, we see that Jesus is Lord to the important. And I'll address all of those of you who are important. And it might be in your position or just in yourself. You are important, alright? So Jesus is Lord of the important. Verses 41 to 42. How do we know that? Well, Jairus comes along and he meets Jesus. Who was Jairus? He was a high official in the local synagogue. Other passages say he was a synagogue ruler. In other words, one who was in charge of the daily running of the synagogue. He had to see that the services ran smoothly. He had to see that all the duties were done. And he was even responsible to see that the whole place was maintained and cleaned. So he was an important official. And generally, important meant rich in those days. And so he was an important and a wealthy man. And so what does this important and wealthy man do? As soon as Jesus' feet touch shore and the crowds gather around Jesus, here this important man gets through and they probably made way for him and he falls down at Jesus' feet. Quite something for a high official to do in front of his teacher. And he implores Jesus, Jesus, come to my house and look at his face and just lay your hand on my daughter and she will be healed. So what was wrong with his daughter? Well, our text says she was his only daughter. So she was precious to him. And those of you who have only children, you'll know possibly what this man was going through. His only daughter was now dying. Some texts, especially Matthew, will say she was dead. Now don't say, aha, you see, Scripture contradicts itself. No, no. Matthew's um, outlook on this whole thing was he used to concertina the events in because he was making a specific point, alright? So when it says she was dead, she was dying. She was nearly dead. She was ready to die, in other words. Now there's an important little note there too. She was 12. Now I'm not going to go into the whole meaning of 12 and take it apart. That's not the idea. We're going to come across this number again. That's all I'm saying. And then I'll comment on it. 
But his daughter was dying, ready to die. And so Jairus was in a last hope situation. He can't wait for this Messiah to come because he's obviously heard and seen other things that have happened. He's seen people healed. He's probably heard about Nain and what happened at Nain. The widow's son was made alive again. And so he comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. It's his last hope. And he says, Jesus, come with me to my house. Just lay your hand on my daughter and she'll be healed. Do you see the faith? I love it. And then the story stops. And there's a bit of an interruption. Because as Jesus is going along to Jairus' house and the crowds are pressing in on him, something else happens. And it's not accidental at all. It is the Holy Spirit's finger at work. A sovereign God orchestrating what is happening here. Because he's making a further point about who this is. Remember, that's the theme of Luke. Who is this man? This Jesus. And take note of that crowd pressing too. Nothing in the Bible is there for nothing. It's there for a purpose. Here the crowd's pressing on Jesus. And let's see what happens. And this is where there's hope for you and I, you see, because Jesus is not just Lord to the important, Jesus is also Lord to the unimportant, the ordinary, you and me, and to this woman, verse 43. See, it's not just important people who can come to Jesus, all of us can come to Jesus, all of us can find hope in Jesus Christ. So what about this woman? As the crowd is pressing in on Jesus, what happens? This woman in the crowd works away so that she can just touch Jesus' cloak as he passes by. That's all. She just touched his cloak. And the Bible tells us that she had had a hemorrhage for 12 years. There's that number again. The Holy Spirit orchestrating. There's a parallel there and it's another sermon. I'm not going in there. But God at work, right? And here's this woman. She touches Jesus. And Scripture says that it was God who was at work in the situation to show who Jesus was. You see, physicians had tried to heal this woman. And remember who's writing this book? Luke. And what was his profession? A physician. And when he says physicians had tried, he wouldn't have said that. It's a bit of a losing face too, you know. So if everyone had tried as physicians to heal this woman, but she was still bleeding after 12 years. Now, it couldn't have been pleasant. And imagine the shame that goes with that, especially in a Jewish society. Why do I say that? You see, with bleeding came what? You were what? You were deemed as unclean, ceremonially unclean. And so here's this woman, for 12 years, she is declared ceremonially unclean. She can't go to the temple. She can't mix with society. And there was actually a special place where people who were unclean had to go outside of the city walls. They had to go there because otherwise they would defile the rest. And now we understand a little bit more. You see, this woman was risking a lot. Because here she is. Where is she? In the middle of the crowd. Now that could have given her stoning. And here she is. Jesus is her last hope too. And she works her way in and she just touches Jesus' cloak. So what's the significance of the cloak? Well, if you go and do a little bit of study in your word, you go back to the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 15, and there you will find all the rules about uncleanliness. 
And if you go a little bit further, you find rules about what to wear. And there was a big link up there. You see, on every Jewish cloak that they wore, you know the prayer cloak that they wore, the covering, they used to put tassels. And there were four tassels they used to put on there. One on each corner of the cloak. It was a square cut cloth. And what were those tassels all about? Those tassels were there, says the Old Testament, to remind God's people of God's commandments to them and of their holy living before Him. In other words, God's promises to His people. And so as Jesus passes by, this woman knows, if I can just touch the tassels on His cloak, I'll be healed. Because God has promised us that He is a great God. What faith? And yet we see an imperfection in her faith. You see, she believed she had to touch His clothes. And what did we see previously? The centurion, chapter 7. What did he say? Lord, if you just speak the word, she'll be healed. And what did Jesus say? What great faith have I seen this day in Israel? You see, there was great faith. So, she didn't understand perfectly, but she was exercising the imperfect faith she had. And that's where it gives me encouragement. Because Jesus doesn't wait till we've got perfect faith until he works. And so she touches Jesus' cloak and immediately says scripture, her bleeding stopped and she knew it had. And Jesus says, who touched me? Now I love this next little bit. It's like, there's a bit of humor in this passage, right? If you look at it. I can just see, who touched me? And all the crowd going, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. And then Peter, bless Peter, he always puts his foot right into it, doesn't he? Remember the fishing scene? Jesus says, throw out your nets. But Lord, we've been fishing all night, but okay. And again Peter, but Lord, there's a crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, who touched me? Lighten up, Jesus. You're a touchy. Not quite. But can you see, Peter? I love that little bit. It's a human factor in there. But you see, Jesus knew power had gone out of him. And so Jesus says, who touched me? And he wasn't speaking to the crowd. He was speaking to one individual in that crowd. Who was he speaking to? Directly to that woman. Did Jesus not know it was her? Of course he knew. He could read hearts. But what was Jesus doing? He wanted her to glorify him. How do I know that? Well, you see, when you go back to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 50, verse 15. There's a little, I'm not going to use the word formula. There's a specific way that God is glorified. And this is the way it works. Psalm 50, verse 15 says this. Call upon me in the day of trouble. So we need to call upon God in the day of trouble. Then what happens? I will deliver you, says God. So there's God's action. And then you shall glorify me. Do you see those three things? Call upon me. I will answer you, then you glorify me. So what had happened? Let's put this in our little scenario. The woman had what? Called upon Jesus by touching on his cloak. What did Jesus do? He delivered her. Her bleeding stopped. What's missing? You need to glorify me. Because God wants to glorify himself through his actions to mankind. And so Jesus calls upon her And she is yet to glorify God. And that woman knew she couldn't get away. 
She knew what had happened in her. And so there she comes through the crowd. You can just see her, blood red, blushing. I don't want to get into it too much. But there she is. Now think of her situation, her condition. She'd been caught out. The crowd was now going to know what's going to happen because she was going to speak up. But she does. She puts her faith in action. And she gives God glory where glory is due. Look at that verse, verse 47. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling. I love that. We're going to come back to that. And she fell down before Jesus and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Now think of a woman in a Jewish scenario. What a bit of courage here. But who had given her that courage? The Lord had put it into her as well. And she knew, if I don't glorify Him, woe is me. You see, why did she come trembling to Jesus? Well, firstly, she was going to have to speak in public. Was it that? No. Was it because of her specific condition? No. Was it because she had touched this great teacher and now defiled him too, in her mind? No. It was because of what he had done in her and she realized who he is. He must be the Messiah. And that is why she can speak out the way she does, even though she's been called to do that. And that's why Jesus responds as he does to her. And I love this because it shows me the heart of Jesus Christ. And it gives me courage to come to him too in any condition that I'm in. How does he respond to her? Look at, just hear the empathy here with her. Just hear the love for her. He says, daughter, daughter. And he wouldn't have said, daughter, what did you do? He didn't come with that tone. It was love in his voice. wouldn't have been. Daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace, he says. And, you know, Jesus was only 30-something, wasn't he? She might not have been much younger than him. But he's speaking to her now as her God. And he speaks to you and I as our God when we come to him with that same humble attitude in our hearts. And he declares the unloved by society Loved by God. I love that passage. For many years she was unloved and now she's loved by God. Your faith has made you well. And now this is where I'm going to stop and we're going to go in brackets. You know me now. Alright? And this is where this faith thing gets out of hand. And this is where the TV evangelists and the big faith healers get it wrong because They take that little phrase, your faith has made you well. And when they do their incantations and in the name of Jesus be healed and you're not healed, what do they say? It's your faith that's too small. You see, I want to state to you very clearly this morning, it's not the size of your faith that matters at all, but who your faith is placed in. And you can come with the faith of a mustard seed. And if you place the faith of a mustard seed, and that's the smallest seed Jesus could think of, if you put that little bit of faith in Jesus Christ, He says you will be able to move mountains. 
But not because of your faith. It's because of who is moving the mountain. But we need to come and bring that faith to Him. Isn't that true? I heard a faint Amen. Now that's right, I'll carry on preaching. You see, what was the role of her faith? What was the role of this woman's faith? It was there so that she could put it into Christ. She had to activate it. Jesus used her act of faith, imperfect as it was, as an instrument by which His power and His love could heal her. It was His power and His love that healed her. What about you? How big is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I do not know what your circumstances are today as you sit here. I don't know. I do know some of you are really going through hard times, whether they're financial, health, whatever. You are facing major obstacles. Is your faith, small as it is, in Jesus Christ? Or are you relying on your faith and how to apply it itself, the action itself? Is it in Jesus Christ? What does Jesus say to her? He says, go in peace. Now, what had Jesus done? He'd healed her body, hadn't he? But he'd also healed her spirit. Go in peace, he says. And thirdly, and we need to understand this too, here this woman was who all her life had been unclean, and Jesus speaks out that priestly term to her in his his role as prophet, priest, and king. He speaks out that priestly term Um, statement over her, go in peace. And every priest used to say that when people had come and they'd offered for the sacrifices, he would end by saying, go in peace. And now Jesus publicly declares her clean to all society around. You see what Jesus does? He heals her completely. Physically, spiritually, socially. Jesus never does a half job on any of us. Alright, we're back into our original story. So, Jairus, and I can just imagine Jairus at this stage, he must have been marching up and down. You see him? Jesus, my daughter's dying. And then this happens. And I can't imagine his heart, but if, you know, I'm a father, I've got two daughters. If one of them was dying, and I knew there was hope, I'd be really pacing up and down. I'd be pulling Jesus by the cloak, not by a tassel, just the whole cloak, and say, come with me. And here's this human element of it. You see, Jairus must have been frustrated even, and Jesus kind of points to the fear in his heart later. And so there he is, and now it's a Jesus and Jairus moment. Okay, He's dealt with a woman. The crowds have seen this. And for a while there'd been hope, and Jairus had hoped And then suddenly, these messengers come from Jairus' home. Hey, Jairus, don't bother the the teacher anymore. Your daughter's died. And I I cannot imagine how that hope must have just crashed inside Jairus. All hope was now dead. And Jesus immediately addresses him. Verse 50, do not be afraid any longer, Jairus. You see, Jesus can read hearts. He can read your heart today. And he says to you too, do not be afraid any longer. Trust in me, says Jesus. I know what I'm doing. I'm a sovereign God at work. And yes, I know there was a delay, Jairus, but it is part of what I'm doing here. 
See who I am, Jairus. See, it's not easy to drive away fear. And I know pretty well, most of you sitting here would have gone through a situation of fear sometime in your life. It's not easy to drive away fear. There's only one way to do it. And what is that? And if you're taking notes, take note of this. Write it down because you're going to need it sometime. There's only one way to drive away fear when things come up against you. And it's this. By firmly, in other words, in your heart, believing in the presence of Jesus Christ in your life, if you're a believer. And if you're not a believer, then fear and come to Jesus Christ. But believing in the presence of Jesus Christ in in your life and also in your whole situation, by believing in His promises that He's given to you, by really believing them in your heart, by believing that He loves you and that there's pity in His heart for you, and your situation, and then by leaving, believing in the power of God. Believe those things in your heart, and then look to the Lord, and fear no more. Jesus says, do not be afraid, Jairus. You see, what did Jesus require of Jairus? He required an, an, a continued faith from Jairus. What did Jairus have to believe in? In the power of Jesus Christ, to do what he said he would do. He said, Lord, come with me. And Jesus had agreed, didn't he? Jairus had to believe that Jesus would come and do what he said he would do. And that his daughter would be made well. But now you see, they said she was dead. And so Jesus comes with him. But in Jairus' heart, he must have thought, well, she's outside of his power now. What can he do now? Yes, he'd heard other people had the dead raised. But what can this Jesus do in my situation? It's always good when we hear about other people, but it's never kind of applicable in our situation, is it? And what does it point to? Our lack of trust in our own lives. You see, throughout redemptive history, the truth has remained the same, unchanging. When it seemed that all was lost, believers put their trust in God and they were delivered. Some from direct circumstances, In other words, Abraham, Daniel, he was delivered from the lions then, wasn't he? Through God's power. The Apostle Paul, Corrie ten Boom in World War II. You, has God answered your prayers and delivered you in a certain situation? And then sometimes God even takes us through death. That's reality, isn't it? Stephen, in the Bible... John Huss, some of the martyrs of the Christian faith. Hugh Latimer, I stood at the place when I was away where he was burnt at the stake. People sat around on the monument. They didn't even know anything about Hugh Latimer. But God knew. And when Hugh Latimer closed his eyes in those flames, Jesus Christ was there to receive him. Jim Elliot's working among the Indians. You see, the truth is this. God never abandoned them. And you, God will never abandon you. Whether it's in your circumstances or right through death, God will never abandon you. He will be there for you. And He will be there the moment you open your eyes, even from death. Whatever your circumstances are, Jesus says, I am more powerful And I have made promises to you and I, the eternal and all-powerful God, will keep them. And so here we have this hopeless situation. 
And now, you need to step with me into the picture, alright? We're coming towards the house, and all we hear is hubbub. Alright? Do you know what that word means? Noise. Chaos. Why? Because this girl had died. And what do we hear as we come towards this house? People crying. People wailing. And they had professional wailers. And tell me, if you know Jewish people and Israel, they know how to wail. They know how to do it. They know how to do funerals. And there they are wailing. A lot of noise happening. And they even had flute players around. I don't know why, but they had them. And so there they are. And Jesus walks into the situation. And I can just imagine Jairus. She's really dead. People knew when people were dead. They were professional at it. Right? And so here this crowd is. And the moment Jesus steps into them, what does Jesus say to them? Verse 52. She's not dead but sleeping. Now before you look at the crowd's reaction when they laugh at Jesus and point your finger at them, I would have done the same, I'm afraid to say. When someone's dead, they're dead. And when someone says they, they're not dead, they're sleeping, you laugh. Because it's ridiculous. But you see, Jesus wanted to show the parents and, and his disciples who he is. And so Jesus takes them with him into the inner room where this little girl is lying dead on her bed. And scripture tells us here that Jesus took in a few people. Who did he take in with him? The parents and Peter and John and James, John's brother. And Jesus closes the door behind him. And now his full attention is on this little girl lying dead in front of him. And this is the passage that gives me hope. Jesus tenderly takes her by the hand and he says to her, Talitha kumi. And if you don't understand Aramaic, and I don't either, that means child, arise. And scripture says what? It says her spirit returned to her. What does that tell us? She was dead. Because what do we believe that happens at death? When my mortal body stops beating, and the medical doctors here, you can certify that. Your body stops living, the heart stops, the brain stops, you are dead. What happens? Your spirit departs. It leaves the body behind to corrode away. And your, your spirit goes to one of two places to await what's going to happen next. And I'm not going down there, I've spoken about that earlier. Either to be with the Lord or to face judgment. You are dead. And what happens here? This child is dead and Jesus through his words, and you just have to be there in that situation. Here is Almighty, the omnipotent God. There's a dead body lying there and she, in whatever state she was, with the spirit departed, heard Jesus' words in amongst the dead. Talitha kumi. Little girl, arise. And that was a command. And her spirit obeyed. And it came back towards this dead corpse. And it came into her corpse. And Jesus did a whole job. She got up. And she immediately, says one of the writers there, she immediately started walking around. Now if you want evidence of someone who's alive, they are walking around, right? Otherwise you've got problems. But see that moment? I can just, 
I can just see Jairus and especially mum's face. It says they were amazed. I think that's the understatement. They were amazed. I would have been in tears. I would have known what to say. Except what? Praise God. Praise God. Look what you've done. And I just imagine Peter's eyes, the spontaneous one, and John and James. Who is this that we are disciples of? This is Jesus. He must be the Messiah. And look at the practical side now. Jesus, you see, goes the whole way. Here's this little teenage girl, and those of you who've got 12 ages, 12 year olds in the house, food, 12 year olds. Okay, 13, 14, it's close. She, I mean, she'd been sick for a while, right? Her body would have been weak. And Jesus, he goes the whole way, he says, give her food. In all this hubbub and confusion, because the parents wouldn't have thought of that, they wouldn't have thought of food. Give her food. Jesus looks after the whole person, doesn't he? I love Jesus Christ. Has he changed? Not at all. And then Jesus does a funny thing. He says to them, now tell no one. It's like, yeah, right. Because the girl's going to walk around. But why does Jesus do that? You see, there's reason. Jesus had a ministry to perform. And he wanted to be declared Messiah when the time had come for it. And you'll see that in chapter 19. The time had come. You'll see that phrase. And the time had not yet come for Jesus to be declared Messiah. And so he says to them, tell no one. What you saw in here, you saw me at work. You appreciated, you worshipped me, but tell no one. And the rest of the people, they can make their own deductions when she walks out the door, right? And so the news spread into the whole region. I don't think I would have been an obedient person either. I can only say wow to that moment. And so we come to the application and... Um, you might ask yourself, so what is the application here? That was in those times historically. Okay, Jesus is unchanging. So what? How does that apply to me today? Well, I want to put four bits of application before you this morning. And I'll be short through this. So listen to this. You see, firstly, it's all about Him. It's all about Jesus Christ. And so, are you in a hopeless situation today? I want to tell you today, that's the wrong question. What do you mean? I am in a hopeless situation today. It's the wrong question. You see, it's all about Jesus Christ. Your situation and where you find yourself is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about the big picture of God. It's all about Him being the Son of God. It's all about His power as an omnipotent God. One who can do anything and everything. It's all about Jesus' ability to heal. Yes, in your situation... And if you understand who Jesus is in your heart, not just your mind, then you too will come to Him with any situation you may find yourself in. Whether it's health, family, finance, work, it doesn't matter. It's all about Him and His glory. It's not about you and your problems. But you see, here's the nub, and I know myself. Unfortunately, self-sufficiency climbs in the picture, doesn't it? And it gets in the way and we stop asking God for help. And therefore we don't receive. 
Did I ask? You don't receive. And so I need to ask you this morning, if it's all about Him, are your eyes on Jesus Christ or your own faith? Are your eyes on Jesus Christ? Is He a big God to you in your situation or is He a little God who's only contained in the Bible when you kind of open it? Is He a big or a little God to you in your picture? Second application, it's all about active faith. Now listen carefully to me when I go through here. You see, we don't come to Jesus Christ because we don't really believe that He can change our situation. In our heart, I know it in my head, but I don't really believe that in my situation, God can do anything. It's a big situation. And our lack of faith keeps us coming from coming back. You see, this woman was asked to bring her little bit of faith out of its shell. And yes, it was frightening to trust Jesus in that moment, but God gave her the strength and the grace to overcome her fears, and she boldly made a proclamation of faith. And Jesus Christ can do the same with you. If you bring your little bit of faith out of its shell, and you give it to Jesus Christ and say, here's what I've got, God. You do your work now. Don't ever hold back because you think your faith isn't big enough. It is because of Him. He is Almighty. And Jairus, he had a different type of faith to exercise. He had a hanging on faith. You see, Jesus said, I'm coming, and then things happen. Alright? And sometimes in our faith lives, Jesus asks us to hang in there, doesn't He? You might have been praying for a member of your family for how many years? Some of you. And some of you have told me, 26, 36, some of you, 56 years. Might be a husband that still doesn't know the Lord. Hang in there. Give that faith to Jesus Christ and carry on coming to Jesus Christ and pleading before the Father like Jairus and God will answer your prayer in His own way. He wants your obedience and your continued obedience. And he wants you to put his, your faith in him. You see, the disciples found that out in Matthew chapter 17. Quickly just flick there. Matthew chapter 17. This is uh, 19 to 20. I want to give you a little example here of faith. And a question about faith. Matthew chapter 17 verses 19 to 20. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, because they'd seen Jesus performing miracles, right? Jesus, why could we not drive out these demons? And so Jesus said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. Now you might think, but Calvin, you've just said something else, right? Carry on reading. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, what was Jesus pointing out to them? They'd seen Jesus working, they'd seen him driving out demons, and now they tried it and didn't work. And Jesus says, it's because of the smallest of your faith. In what way? In me. In God's ability to work through you. That's what he teaches them there. Don't think you can do it on your own. You can't do it. 
And so I ask you this morning, is your faith being stretched out? And is God doing that work in your life? Thirdly, it's all about His timing. And Jesus may choose, listen to me, Jesus may choose not to heal you even though you've prayed for healing. And He may choose not to change your situation and that family member that you've been praying for, they may go to hell. And Jesus may, may not choose to answer your situation, here's the crunch, as you see fit. But He will answer your cry for help in some way. And ultimately, trusting in God's care means accepting His timing and His answer for events. In the end, who is God? He is. And I've got to trust Him for what He will do. And then fourthly, hope for the future. I spoke to you about that little scene there with Lazarus. Oh, not sorry with Lazarus. With this little girl being raised. You see, that gives me hope too. Because one day, I know, if Jesus Christ doesn't come, I will die. My spirit will leave my body. And I look forward to that day when, in whatever state I am waiting, I'm going to hear those words. And they're going to come right through. And I will hear them very clearly. And if you're a believer here in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will hear that command to your spirit coming. Arise and come to me. And immediately what will happen? We will get up. And we will be reunited with our new bodies. And we will meet those who are already with the Lord. And we will be with Him forever. But here's the shocking thing too. If you're not a believer here today, you are also going to hear those words. Arise. And you are going to go and stand before God in eternal judgment. So at the same time, there's good news. There's bad news. But there's good news. If you do not yet believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, today is the day when you can still come to Him and like Jairus, bow the knee and acknowledge that He is the Messiah. He can make a change in your life and He will make a change in your life if you give yourself to Him. I know we're at length of a lengthy sermon, but that's good. I'm back. I want to just very shortly give you a little testimony here of a man called Hamad. And I've tried to find out if he was in India or in Sri Lanka. It doesn't matter. He's in Asia. I got this this week, and I believe this is not for nothing that I suddenly received this little testimony. And I want to read this to you, and you might identify with this. It's titled this, My Life is in Christ, One Man's Journey from Depression to Hope. Married to a woman he loved and blessed with two children, Hamad enjoyed his life. He faithfully worshipped many gods and goddesses, and ran a thriving business which provided well for him and his family. Like Job, he was prosperous and happy. But peace did not last as it doesn't in his life. Hamad's wonderful wife suddenly fell ill and died. He went numb with shock, plunging into depression. Life seemed meaningless without her. Losing interest in work, Hamad stopped taking care of his business and it collapsed. He isolated himself from other people and he stayed within the four walls of his own house. Ignoring his health, he went days and months without a bath. His hair and his beard grew long. 
One minute he had possessed nearly everything he could want. The next he was undone by tragedy. But hope invaded Hamad's life when a, when a Gospel for Asia supported pastor visited his home to share about Christ's love. When Hamad's family told Pastor Lomash about the tormented man's condition, Pastor Lomash shared about how God had touched his own life to Hamad. And Hamad sat in the corner listening. He wept aloud as he remembered his prior life. And Pastor Lomash then began to pray for him. And moved to show God's love to Hamad, Pastor Lomash visited often. One morning he convinced Hamad to bathe. And he took him to the barber shop for a haircut. I love this. Love in action. Step by step, isn't it? We don't just pray for people. We help them through. So he took him for a bathe. And he took him to the barber shop for a haircut. On each visit, Lomash took time to sit with a struggling man and to pray for God to heal his heart. And gradually, Hamad's condition improved. Newfound peace flooded his heart. Before his wife died, Hamad had worshipped many gods. But as Pastor Loma shared Jesus' love with them, Hamad's heart opened to God's truth. Instead of isolating himself, Hamad began speaking to everyone in his household. He couldn't help himself. He started believing that the Lord heard and responded to people's prayers. Excited about the pastor's message, Hamad asked his children to listen to Lomash's words. And soon Hamad and his children started attending the local fellowship. And he embraced Christ's love. There it happened. I am happy to have my life back, Hamad said. I'm more than glad that my life is in Jesus Christ. The transformation in Hamad's life filled him and his family with joy. Like Job, he had new hope in God after a season of testing and darkness. He shared this hope with others, including his younger brother, Akir, who also decided to follow Christ. You see God being glorified? On March the 23rd, 2012, Hamad went to be with the Lord. Not a happy ending, but it is. Entering into rest and peace. While on earth he had rejoiced that his life was in Christ. Now in heaven he dwells in eternal joy with his Saviour. Although he passed away, Hamad left an enduring legacy. A brother and children who loved Jesus. Both children continued to stand strong in their faith. Under the care of Pastor Lomash, Akir too is growing spiritually. God transformed Hamad's life through the compassion of a national missionary and now Hamad's family can look forward to worshipping Christ with him in heaven. That's your story, that's my story. You see, sometimes we can't understand when difficult things happen to us. Sometimes it looks like all hope is gone. And it's too late for God to act. But Jesus asks you to have faith that He will do all that He promises to do. And what you and I need to do is to believe Jesus Christ and that He can do those things. Do you believe? Psalm 50 verse 15 says this, and take hope from these words as we end. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. There it is. Psalm 24 verse 23 verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's a hard thing. Romans 14 verse 8. If we live, we live to the Lord. 
And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. I love it. Life doesn't matter. Romans 15 verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope. There's the outward testimony. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we believe in the working of the Spirit. I pray that for your life this morning. And I'm going to pray this morning, and if there's anyone who wants to come for prayer, either come up here and we'll go and pray with you afterwards, or just come and see me afterwards, and I will pray with you, and we will see what God can do in your life. But respond to Him in faith. Put it into action. Put your faith into Jesus Christ, and He will act. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we read your word and we read these accounts. And Lord, it stirs our hearts when we see you in action. Our great omnipotent God. But Lord, I pray this morning that you will translate that head knowledge into heart knowledge in every single one of us. So that when life turns against us in the events that happen, we will know. It might be against us, but you know. And you are with us. Not just in our hearts, but in that situation. And you will turn it for our good. And whether we see it in this lifetime or not, we know that in the next lifetime, you will be there for us. And you will have kept every single promise you've made. Lord, you are indeed a great God. Help us to have great faith in a great Savior. May we live out that faith in such a way that others around us will see And you will be glorified. Use us in this little community of Whanganui, we pray, so that Jesus Christ and His glory is known. Amen.